Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Books with Jen. Today I'm going to be talking about writing and confidence, why we write, the importance of books and reading. I am joined by Raymond Antrobus, who is one of my favourite poets. I think his work is extraordinary. We are going to be talking about writing, we're going to be talking about identity, deafness, what he's been loving recently. He's going to read us some of his poetry too. As I said, I think his work is wonderful. So if you haven't read The Perseverance, please do pick up a copy. I'll leave a link in the show notes. If you need captions for this video, you can find that over on the YouTube version of this podcast, which I'll also link in the show notes down below. If you are new to the podcast, please do subscribe so that you can be notified of future episodes. And there are many other previous episodes that you can catch up with if you wish to do so. So let's crack on with the interview. At the beginning, uh, it opens with Ray and I talking about writing and how that feels. I mean, also there's a lot of uh, freedom with poetry because I was told for 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 years by and almost every non-poet that yeah. no one cares about poetry, no one reads poetry, no one's by poetry. So just do what you want because it doesn't really matter. It's not going to make you money. No one makes a career career out of it. Blah 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 blah. Like really, like damn. That's like liberating and depressing. Exactly. At the same Exactly, <laughs> but I think because I'd, you know, I'd had so many years of going into schools and engaging with young people with poetry and seeing how much it works, yeah. what an incredible impact it has, uh, and not just in schools in my own country or my own city, but around the world. Yeah. I've seen it constantly. When I was uh, doing my MA at Goldsmiths, the whole, you know, we it was focused on emotional literacy and the whole point of it it was almost like a social case study to look at how um poetry geared towards using like emotional literacy so um getting young people to write about their lives about their feelings mm. and about you know that kind of self-expression but how much that can relate to their curriculum and their predicted grades in the future and all this kind of stuff so it's not ideological like we've done the two-year case study 98% of all the students that we had that engaged with poetry came to an after-school poetry club went up a level in their English so it you know mm-hmm. it there's real power there yeah it has value it's useful and I think knowing that is something that's helped me and inspired me and given me confidence to keep writing poetry it's unfortunate that outside the poetry world, any any new poetry, the only reference point for a lot of people is, you know, being forced to study Shakespeare at school. Um, Read lots of dead white dudes. Essentially. Uh, and I'm not speaking against Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. I think Shakespeare mm-hmm. has his place. It's just... Um, it's just... <laughs> there are more things going there are on. More things going on, right. Yeah. And there's such a disconnect, so it's particularly like, even within the black British genre, mm. um, I don't really feel, it's so marginal, yeah. it's still so marginal. Um, so even people out there who are poetry journalists, who pride themselves with how serious they are, mm-hmm. and they, they've, got, they've gone so far without ever having to read any black British poets or writers, mm-hmm. um, because they, in some cases, uh, 
you know, they've said it to me to my face. They don't think that they're good enough. They don't yeah. think that there's some quality there, uh, which which is um, that which is knocks the confidence. Which yeah, that knocks my confidence. The workers just like, well, these this is my lineage. Mm -hmm. These are the po these poets do matter to me, and I think we should be taking them seriously. Yeah. Would you mind uh, reading a poem from the collection for us? Sure. So what I'll do, I'll read the title poem, The Perseverance. Okay. Uh, it's just the Stina, uh, the six words that repeat our perseverance, t uh, minute before father disappeared, laughter. And uh, The Perseverance is a, is a pub on, well, just at the end of Broadway Market, just over the Cat and Mutton Bridge. It's a pub that my dad used to drink in. Um, and anything you have to say about this poem? Probably just that it begins with an epigraph from a Jamaican singer called Peter Tosh, where he says, love is the man overstanding. I wait outside the perseverance, just popping in here a minute. I'd heard him say it many times before, like all kids with a drinking father, watch him disappear into smoke and laughter. There is no such thing as too much laughter, my father says, drinking in the perseverance until everything disappears. I'm outside counting minutes, waiting for the man, my father, to finish his shot and take me home before it gets dark. We've been here before, no such thing as too much laughter, unless you're my mother without my father, working weekends while the perseverance spits him out for a minute. He gives me 50p to make me disappear. 50p in my hand, I disappear like a coin in a parking meter before the time runs out. How many minutes will I lose listening to the laughter spilling from the perseverance while strangers ask, where is your father? I stare at the doors and say, my father is working. Strangers who don't disappear but hug me for my perseverance. Dad said, this will be the last time before while the TV spilled canned laughter, us on the sofa in his council flat, knowing any minute the yams will boil, any minute I will eat again with my father, who cooks and serves laughter, good as any Jamaican who disappeared from the island I tasted before, overstanding our heat and perseverance. I still hear popping in for a minute, see him disappear. We lose our fathers before we know it. I'm still outside the perseverance listening for the laughter. Thank you. And I think like, um, while growing up, like my dad uh, really struggled with alcohol, you know, he was, a, he was an alcoholic. Mm. And um, I've been reading this poem around and it's interesting how people have come up to me who have also had alcoholic parents and also relate to that kind of feeling of just being left places mm. as a kid and you just waiting around, just don't really know what's going on and, you, and you're, you're picked up by one version of your parent and then he disappears for a while and comes back as another version, you know? <laughs> so there's like that. And it's something that, you know, something like that isn't something I was thinking too deeply about as I was writing it. But, you know, you create something, you put it out in the world and people respond. Yeah. It's also, I suppose, a bit like a role reversal as well. If you think of 
after school clubs or whatever that parents might take their children to and then they wait outside in the car for them to come back yeah. but you're doing that exactly yeah, yeah 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 once you release something and that's something that you mentioned before the poets have said to you don't rush because once something is out there you can't change it yeah. but that's the beauty of it too is that actually other people can change it yeah. and it becomes something else entirely yeah um am i right in thinking that your dad used to kind of riff on instrumental jamaican music yeah was that an inspiration for writing poetry for oh, you completely yeah so you know poetry and this is another thing talking about confidence like mm. ultimately poetry is part of my family lineage like both my parents were into po- uh, into poetry like they both had bookshelves and they lived separately and they poetry books appeared on both of those shelves uh my dad's favorite poet was miss lou a jamaican poet my mom's favorite poet is uh william blake so i had this kind of presence of it mm. my grandparents uh, on both sides were also preachers they were also writers they were also poets but they never published anything um so that you know like that all of the those things kind of tied into giving me permission i mm-hmm. suppose um but my dad would, in his own way, um, wouldn't really approve of me saying I wanted to be a poet because it wouldn't make any sense to him. I think he would just be a bit like, yeah, but... Yeah, that's cute, but... <laughs> yeah, where, where's the money? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, so, it's a fair question. <laughs> it, is a fair, it is a fair question, and I, I'm only just now, <laughs> um, now that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to be able to afford a house. Only now am I like, yeah... Yeah, he was right. <laughs> yeah, but there are ways of saying that, aren't there? It yeah, could yeah, be like, yeah. that's really good, you do that. What are you going to do to help you support that exactly, thing? As opposed exactly. to never do that thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, ultimately, the language that I used around it with my dad was, I'm a teacher. Mm. I'm teaching, you know. And he'd be like, okay, that's... that's. I understand that. I, I understand that, I, you know. So, but with, with the with the kind of sound system stuff that my dad used to riff on, he would make these tapes um, and they'd be like dub. So it's just like instrumental reggae basically. And you've got people like Lee Scratch Perry who would release whole like dub plates and my dad would buy them, listen to them. And then he would have this strange, wiry, complicated system with like a vinyl player and then two tape deck players um, and he'd find all of this stuff like out on the street. I suppose what he did though was a kind of, you know, yeah, it was a kind of poetry in that he played the dub beat and then he would just speak over it like, calm down, here come the rhythm, yeah man, <laughs> alright. And then he would like insert little Bible quotes, yes. man was born to multiply, <laughs> yeah man, and then just riff it and like you know that's a spoken word album it is it absolutely is (laughs) and then at the same time like um he would he would uh like record poets but on the radio or on tv or whatever and so he had this whole whole tape of um miss lou poems uh some people know her as uh, louise bennett and he would play me the performances of these poems and I'm like, you know, I'm like five years old, four years old. And uh, Miss Lou's uh, famous poem, one of her famous poems is Colonization in Reverse. So, you know, he would sing it along. What a devil meant at England. The rage war and cursed the worst. But we wondering how they're going to stand Colonization in Reverse. You know, so it's like, it, it's, again, just part of my, 
atmosphere as, mm. a, as, a, as a kid. And how did um, deafness interact with poetry with you when you were younger? Yeah, I think because it wasn't it wasn't discovered until later. Mm. Um, so I went through my first you know six years of life with my parents and my teachers just thinking I was aloof, mm. and it wasn't until my mum got this telephone and it was this big like white telephone that apparently was really loud <laughs> <laughs> and it would ring mm. and everyone would react to this ringing except me yeah like if i wasn't in the room i'm not respond- i know that's what my mom said she said that she looked at me she looked at the telephone ringing and was like he's deaf of course yeah and then immediately almost like you know fast tracked me to getting hearing test um diagnosed within that year i'm doing speech therapy i'm doing hearing therapy i've got hearing aids i'm given radio aids to rate to wear in classrooms um by the time i'm 11 years old i'm i'm learning sign language um so i've like you know had a whole heap of support Mm. um which in a lot of ways made me, you know, I don't think, um, or, or at least made a part of me. Mm. And it's, it's tough because now I go into deaf schools and I see some of those avenues aren't there for young deaf people uh, because of the funding cuts. What specific kind of avenues, what like speech therapy? Speech like therapy, long waiting lists, mm-hmm. uh, or not, you know, not enough of them. Yeah. Um, Hearing aids you now need to pay for if you lose them and that they can cost you around £600. The closure of deaf schools. So I went to a deaf school which was also part of a hearing school and you know that's where I learned sign and all these different things. And Was that uh, a secondary school? A secondary yeah. school, yeah. Mm. And so now even though the the population of deaf people being born in this country has gone up, mm-hmm. there are fewer deaf schools. Um, and the ones that remained open shrunk. So there were 150 students in my in my uh, school, in my deaf school. And now I've been, I did a residency, um, it's Blanche Neville uh, in Highgate. Uh, and now there are 75 students in that school. Deaf students are now just mainstreamed mm-hmm. and I still go into schools, primary, secondary, and see, you know, one or two deaf students among like, you know, 30 plus hearing students. And I remember, I remember um, how difficult that could be. In some ways, writing the Perseverance was the kid I was writing, like, being still being inside me and needing to write this book for himself mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that was also something that gave me uh, a focus that kind of I suppose passionate objective yeah um, where I could be like I've bring this book out and if no one likes it fine <laughs> that has to be okay yeah and I'm lucky people do like it people like it a lot <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about that idea of society so if there are more 
deaf people in mainstream schools, that society sees it as the ideal for deaf people to conform to hearing people, Mm -hmm. that that is the state Mm -hmm. that you should be in. Mm -hmm. I have a condition called EEC syndrome, which means I was born with missing fingers and spent a lot of time in hospital when I was little. I write about disfigurement, and what I find interesting is that sometimes, um, depending on the person and the publisher, they want to, they think that's exotic and interesting, Mm -hmm. and they're like, yes. Mm -hmm. But then not too much, Mm -hmm. because you have to appeal to everybody. Mm -hmm. And I remember having publishing meetings, and when I was asked to pitch, like, what what are the themes of this collection? I was like, okay, queerness, disfigurement, I could see them going, oh. God, like just going back in their seat thinking, oh shit. Um, not, not in a like horrible, well, I guess it's not for, it, I find it horrible. They don't mean to be horrible, but just in a, how do we market this? How do we, you know, they're waiting for me to say something that they think is completely universal. You know, like love. And they'll be like, great, we can, I know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered what kind of experience you had um, writing about deafness and sending that out to publishers and at gigs, etc. What kind of reaction do you get to that? What do people, what do you think people expect from you? I loved, you know, uh, your tweet about that, about characters and particularly villains being <laughs> defined by yeah, yeah. a disfigurement, mm-hmm. a, a, a scar, and, and that's just seen as a quirk. You know, yeah. um, I'm on a, I'm on pen in the margin, so, so I'm not like on some major press, I'm on like some small independent press, so I don't think there were, Tom Shivers at Pendulum Margins never asked me any of that or didn't make me feel any of that. No. Um, so that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also he trusted me, yeah, to, to, to just kind of handle that because ultimately the book, I wouldn't say that the perseverance is primarily about deafness it's hard right because you're like yeah. it's about this but it's also not about this yeah which is how you feel about yourself you're like yeah. i am this i'm also lots of other things exactly yeah, so yeah. catch me on any day of the week and i'll be like this is really important and i need to talk about it or that's not important and i don't need to talk about yeah. it right now yeah that's it i think it's offensive to, to people to say hey uh you can only understand this one thing right. it's like wow people really deserve a bit more credit mm-hmm. you know what i mean for uh the uh their understanding of mm-hmm. human beings and their multitudes and complexities mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Because ultimately, I think that the, the perseverance, actually, I'm writing about communication, mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. education, I think, that uh, and language. And I think that that plays in to it, if not more than just as much as deafness as, a, as, a, as an idea. And like, yeah, I mean, I have I go through different days where I'm like, I'm gonna make sure that no hearing aids appear in this poem that I'm about to write. <laughs> um, but but again, if it does appear, it's never in a poem about hearing aids. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's just a kind of. Uh, it's just. A, I don't know. It's, it's part just, of it's me. just your so, normal. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's just normal to me to, <laughs> yeah. to be like, oh yeah hearing aids every day hearing aid batteries every day like that's generally my life what books have you been reading recently and loving um so um this just came out this is called the neighborhood by hannah lowe it's a pamphlet it's 18 pages long yeah i'm a big fan of hannah lowe's poetry i consider hannah lowe a 
poetry ancestor of mine, partly because she writes about London and working class life and having a Jamaican mm. Chinese father. And she writes, she's also a mother as well. I really like the way that her, her identity as a mother always shows up in her work. Um, and in this book, A Neighbourhood, I think that she's take some, take, take, taken some risks with some, some new forms I've never seen her do. So yeah, really enjoying that. That's A Neighbourhood by Hannah Lowe. Um, I've been returning to an epic poem uh, exploring the historical foundations of Jamaican society uh, by Andrew Sulky. This was released in the 70s. Uh, it took him seven years to write, but interestingly enough, he wrote it while he was living in London. Mm. So, um, so Andrew Sulky, who also taught in the States, um, lived in the UK for a while, um, also wrote uh, stories, like Nancy stories and stuff like that. But I love this epic poem that he writes because of all of the voices that it takes on. Like um, he talks, he gives a voice to the the rocks of the Caribbean islands and the sea, the Caribbean islands. But then he will also uh, talk in the voice of island people or uh, colonized and colonizers. So there's a whole range of tones uh, and languages that interweave. In, throughout it and it's a huge influence on me uh, so that's Andrew Sulky and then of course like my favorite poetry journal is just called poetry magazine I subscribe to it it comes every month it's pretty cheap to subscribe to and the poets that they publish are just often brilliant it's primarily an American magazine mm. but they publish quite a lot of British poets now how are you feeling about poetry in general right now what is your what is currently in your mind what's your objective I'd want to be in a place where the only thing that really matters is being able to have this idea, have this feeling, have this experience, write about it, try and make a shape for it to go out into the world and hope that something, someone, somewhere responds. Like that, if that is my objective, <laughs> you know, my main objective yeah. uh, with poetry, then I'm happier yeah you know um and that's what i'm trying to focus on you know like being happy being grateful um being present um and just not trying not to take it all too seriously <laughs> would you mind reading us a final poem thank you i've i don't i've never read this poem <laughs> i'm gonna read it because okay. uh I, yeah, okay, cool. So this poem is called I Move Through London Like a Hotep. What you need will come to you at the right time, says the tarot card I overturned at my friend Natalie's house one evening. I was wondering if she said something worth hearing. What? I'm looking at her face and trying to read it. Not a clue what she said, but I'll just say yeah and hope. Me, Tabitha, and her aunt are waffling in Waffle House by the Mississippi River. Tabitha's aunt is all mumble. She either said, do you want a pancake or you look melancholic. The less I hear, the bigger the swamp. So I smile and nod as my head becomes a faint foghorn, a lost river. 
Why wasn't I asking her to microphone? When you tell someone you read lips, you become a mysterious captain. You watch their brains navigate channels with BSL interpreters in the corners of nighttime TV. Sometimes it's hard to get back the smooth sailing and you go down with the whole conversation. I'm a haze of broken jars, a purple bucket, and only I know there's a hole on it. In, on Twitter, at JustNoxyTweets, I can't watch TV movies without subtitles. It's just too hard to follow. I'm sitting there pretending and it's just not worth it. I tweet back, you not being able to follow is not your failure. And it's weird, giving the advice you need to someone else. As weird as thinking my American friend said, I moved through London like a hotep when she actually said, I'm used to London life with no sales tax. Deanna, my friend who owns crystals and believes in multiple moons, says I should write about my mishearings. She thinks it will make a good book for her bathroom. I'm still afraid I've grown up missing too much information. I think about that episode of A Twilight Zone, where an old man walks around the city bars selling bric-a-brac from his suitcase, knowing what people need. Scissors, a leaky pen, a bus ticket, combs. In the scene, music is playing loud, meaning if I were in that bar, I would miss the mysticism while the old man's miracles make the barman say, whoa, this guy is from another planet. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books with Jen. If you're new, please do subscribe for future episodes. Check out Ray's collection, The Perseverance, because it's a bit bloody brilliant. And I will speak to you all very soon. Lots of bookish love. Bye.